Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. Hello again, this is Jay Shapiro. Thanks for listening. This week we're celebrating Hanukkah, the holiday of rededication, also known as the holiday of lights, or in Hebrew, Hanukkah. This is a celebration of an event that occurred 2,500 years ago. The Holy Land was at that time under the ruling of the Hellenistic Empire of Greece, and the rulers tried to turn the people away from our religion. The majority of Jews at that time went along with the Hellenists and essentially assimilated, but a small band of zealous guerrillas were able to attain victory over the Hellenists. The battle lasted for more than 20 years, but at the outset, the temple was recaptured and rededicated. One of the main lessons for today is that although we are plagued with intermarriage and lack of Jewish education, that has alienated many Jews from our people, particularly in the United States, there is hope for our future. We can overcome many difficulties, but the lesson of Hanukkah is that even a small group that remains faithful can guarantee our future. Even today, we are among the smallest minorities on the world scene, but being faithful guarantees our future. One of the most obvious signs is that after almost 2,000 years of exile, we've returned to our homeland and established independence. One of the first things that happened at the time that the Maccabees fought the Hellenists was the rededication of the temple and the relighting of the candelabra, the menorah. Uh, since the fuel of the candelabra in the temple was oil, we celebrate with foods that contain oil like pancakes and donuts. This does not in any way help our waistline, but is keeping with the theme of a few Jewish holidays, which is, they tried to destroy us, we won, let's eat. I'll be back after the break. Thanks again for listening. The return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel was prophesied in the Bible thousands of years ago and is coming true today. Shalom. Join me, Josh Wander, on Israel Unplugged. Listen in as we delve into the spiritual and physical aspects of the Jewish return to Zion. We'll discuss the biblically mandated, historic, and of course practical understandings of this incredible transition from exile to redemption. That's Israel Unplugged, every Monday on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. Hello again, this is Jay Shapiro. 
go back to Jay Shapiro. The uh, tomb of the Pat- patriarchs in Hebron, Hebron, is one of the two holiest sites that the Jews have. One is the Temple Mount, and the other is the tomb of the patriarchs. The cave of the patriarchs is what it's called officially in Eng- in uh, English. Uh, it is a plot of land that the Torah itself records that Abraham bought to bury his wife, Sarah. Isaac and Rebekah are buried there. Jacob and uh, Re- uh, and his wife are buried there. And it is also thought that Adam and his wife are buried there. The bottom line is, is the holiest, one of the two holiest sites that the Jews have. Now, this week, the president of Israel, uh, Herzog, he went there to light the first Hanukkah candle. This week is Hanukkah, and he went there uh, on uh, Monday night to light the, I'm sorry, on Sunday night to light the first Hanukkah candle. And the historic ties of the Jewish people in the state of Israel to the biblical city of Hebron are really beyond dispute. President Isaac Herzog said so on Sunday as he marked the first night of Hanukkah by lighting a candle in the tomb of the patriarchs. And he said the following, My brothers and sisters, today, too, with all the complexities, and I'm not ignoring these complexities for a moment, the historical affinity of the Jewish people to Hebron, to the cave of the patriarchs, to the heritage of our matriarchs and patriarchs is not in doubt. Recognition of this attachment must be beyond all controversy, unquote. Now, both Palestinians and Israeli left-wing politicians and activists protested his decision to visit the city, which has been one of the flashpoints of violence for the entire Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Hamas threatened violence in the wake of Herzog's visit there. The international community, the Palestinian authorities and the Israeli left, believed that Hebron should be set within the final borders of a future Palestinian state. The Arab League condemned the provocative, in their words, the provocative move, charging that it disregarded the feelings of Muslims, according to the Palestinian News Agency. In downtown Palestinian Hebron, activists clashed with the Israeli army. There is a joint list party in the Israeli Knesset, it's an Arab party, and the head of the party, Ayman Ozik, said that Herzog did not go to light the first candle. He went to set Hebron ablaze. The, there is a Jewish party called Meretz, and one of their members of Knesset, Morsi Raz, said he intended to stand in front of the cave to protest Herzog's visit along with other vac- vac- activists, but he was prevented from doing so by the Israeli police. <clears throat> Instead, they went to the entrance of the nearby Kirba, Kiryat Arba Jewish settlement instead. So, the le- by the way, the left-wing group called Peace Now tweeted, 
from the protest, and they said, we came to say no to apartheid, no to fascism, no to violating Palestinian human rights in our name. Now, the pres our president, Herzog, who, by the way, supports a two-state resolution to our conflict with our neighbors, has been a strong advocate of the Jewish connection to this city. On Sunday, when he lit the first candle for Hanukkah, he stood in one of the two small Jewish sanctuaries and spoke of those roots and his own family's five-generation history with the city. And he spoke out, and he recalled that the, our biblical ancestors were buried there, and its sale is recorded in the Bible. And it's interesting, uh, when his father, Chaim Herzog, was Israel's ambassador to UN back in 1976, and I remember this quite well, he reached, he spoke uh, with the book of Genesis, and he described the sale, which is recorded, as I said, in Genesis. And he said it was agreed that these verses would be circulated as an official document of the United Nations, a document that proves and exemplifies our Jewish connection to the cave of the patriarchs. And thus the title deed for this holy site became an official document of the United Nations Security Council. But indeed, by the way, his own family, Herzog's family, has a very long history um, in the city of Hebron. Um, and of course, our president said that the Tomb of the Patriarchs could be a bridge of peace rather than a source of, of strife. Uh, he said, we're the only ones whose roots branch out from this tomb. Today, of all days, here, Hanukkah, here in all places, in the site sacred to the children of Abraham, we must continue to dream about peace between all religions and faiths in this land and to denounce all forms of hatred and violence. Now, the, the Palestinian Authority and the Hebron municipality uh, viewed the tomb uh, as a solely a Muslim site. And interesting, a Jewish member of the Knesset, Mosi Araz, as I said, of the party Merits, tweeted, there's no connection between Hebron today and the historic city uh, uh, of yesteryear. In other words, the Jewish member of Knesset denies the relationship, the connection, written in the Bible between the Jews and um, it's in, uh, and, and, the, uh, and the city. Interestingly enough, um, Herzog, our president, is no provocateur. In fact, he comes from the left side of the Israeli political map, the side that was willing to withdraw from almost all of Hebron, and handed over to the Palestinians if they would have just given up some of their max, max, maximalist designs. That doesn't mean, however, that Herzog would have ceded the Jewish claim to Hebron or to the cave of the patriarchs. To do that would be to cede any historic or religious claim of Israel to this land. Whatever one might 
think of what the contours of some future agreement with the Palestinians may look like, whatever one may think of the wisdom or the necessity of Jewish settlement in the heart of Hebron, there is no denying that Jews have a claim there that goes back literally thousands of years and have a right to pray and study and even light uh, Hanukkah candles there. The, uh, incidentally, I mean, the Arab uh, media came out and said that Herzog has no right to go visiting Hebron. And unfortunately, it was picked up, articulated, and amplified by far-left groups, Jewish groups, like Peace Now or Breaking the Silence, which called for protest against the president's visit to Hebron. And they tweeted, these left-wingers tweeted that our president should be a unifying personality. And uh, Hebron is occupied territory. The uh, settlements in Hebron around the cave are the most infuriating. And it's very sad that the president gives priority to this. And this is what a left-wing member of our own Knesset is saying. The, uh, the, uh, in the newspaper, Haaretz here, uh, had an editorial last Friday uh, that said, our president has decided he wants to be president of the settlements, which is wrong. Herzog decided he wanted to light the first Hanukkah candle in a site that more than other site represents Jewish historical claim to Israel. And to highlight that at a time when many are trying to paint the, the Jews in Israel as outside interlopers and settler colonialists, his doing so is to be welcomed, not protested. There's a huge difference. To the left, the far left, uh, the, the, the far left is protesting a visit is just another manifestation of how far they have distanced themselves from the Israeli mainstream. Now, they, uh, everybody agrees, I should say everybody except the far left agrees that our claims to this land, including the fact that the that our ancestors were buried there. The uh, the uh, it's it's just terrible that the left wingers in Israel have lost total relationship with with uh, with our history. The uh, organizations like Breaking the Silence and Peace Now say it's illegitimate for Israel's president to go to Hebron. And what they really are doing, these left-wingers, is separating themselves from the rest of Israel. So, I just wanted to share this news with the listeners. I'll be back after the break. I'm Steve Miller. And I'm Matt Zucker. Join us for Lighten Up, where we take a look at the week's current events in Israel and from around the Jewish world through a humorous lens. If you've been paying attention during these crazy times, you know that it's a challenge to parody life anymore. 
But join Steve and I as we give it the old college try. Not only is being happy an obligation, but life is just too short to take it all so seriously. So join me, Steve Miller. And me, Matt Zucker. For a lighten up every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Israel, only on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. You're back with Jay Shapiro. In the last couple of months, or within a year, Israel has made peace agreements with a number of Muslim states in the area, going so far as Morocco, which is way out touching upon the Atlantic Ocean. In the meantime, in the background, Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas said this month he's interested in resuming peace talks with Israel. He made his statement on the eve of a meeting he held just on November 25th with Russian President Vladimir Putin in the Black Sea Resort of, of um, I forget the name, but it's immaterial. Abbas specified that he wants the peace talks with Israel to resume under the auspices of Russia and the three other members of the International Quartet, that means the European Union, the United Nations, and the United States. Now, if Abbas is really interested in returning to the negotiating table with Israel, he needs to decide whether he's on the side of his peace partners in Israel or his political enemies in Hamas. Abbas needs to decide whether he belongs to the pro-peace camp in Israel and the Arab world or the enemies of peace, including Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and their patrons in Iran. For now, it seems that Abbas wants it both ways. On the one hand, He's presenting himself as a moderate and pragmatic leader who's seeking to revive the peace process with Israel. Abbas has been sending this message not only to the Russians, but also to representatives of the U.S. administration, the Biden administration, and the European Union with whom he's been meeting on a regular basis in recent months. On the other hand, Abbas is also telling Palestinians that he's he's prepared to include them, including including the terrorists, in a future Palestinian unity government. Now, this Hamas is the same one that does not recognize Israel's right to exist and opposes any form of normalization or peace agreements with what they call the Zionist entity. So, uh, uh, essentially, uh, Abbas is saying he will include in his coalition a, a party that doesn't recognize any form of normalization with Israel. So Hamas is a threat not only to Israel, but actually to Abbas and himself. Abbas and Hamas 
have been at each other's throats since around 19 to, since around 27 20, 2007 when a Hamas, Hamas seized control of the Gaza Strip through using a bloody coup and threw some of Abbas's men off the rooftops of multi-story buildings. That's the group that he's talking about now making a coalition with. Now, this month, Abbas again proved he's trying to have it both ways regarding the peace process with Israel and Hamas. The uh, the, US, the uh, United Kingdom Home Secretary uh, presented a um, resolution in Parliament in London outlaw the Islamist group called Hamas and and any uh, uh, outlawed it entirely from the United Kingdom. So uh, um, Abbas welcomed this move by the British. Uh, Hamas denounces him as a traitor, and Hamas doesn't ex uh, hide its desire to see Abbas toppled from his throne of power. So the United Kingdom decision to outlaw Hamas is undoubtedly good news for Abbas, who for the past decade has been making huge efforts to undermine Hamas and end its rule over the two million Palestinians who are living now in the Gaza Strip. So the uh, the uh, in the U in the United Kingdom, the uh, the UK Home Secretary uh, Home Secretary said that Hamas has significant terrorist capability, including access to extensive and sophisticated weaponry, as well as training facilities. He said this in the United Kingdom as late as November ninth nineteenth. That is why he acted to proscribe Hamas in its entirely. So instead of welcoming the UK's decision to ban Hamas, Abbas was one of uh, Hamas. Abbas was one of the first Palestinians to condemn the move by the United Kingdom. By condemning the decision, Abbas is sending a message to the international community that he, he actually does support Hamas, which means he actually supports terror, terrorism. So the uh, the Palestinian Authority, Abbas has a foreign ministry, they said that the, uh, the British move was an unjustified attack on the Palestinian people. The most laughable part of the Palestinian ministry's statement is it says that the British decision places obstacles in the way of achieving peace. So you can ask yourself, how can a decision to outlaw a terrorist group that is sworn never to have peace with Israel be seen as an obstacle to peace? Yet, in the world of the Palestinian Authority, it seems that banning a radical terrorist group is a bad thing. And the Palestinian ministry called on the British government to stop the policy of double standards and immediately retracted this decision outlawing Hamas. So what's happening is simply that Abbas, the head of the Palestinian Authority, is playing a dirty game of double standards. And it's and it's a game that over the past decades Hamas and the Palestinian leadership has actually perfected. The uh, so 
It's interesting. Uh, for example, back in 2007, Abbas uh, issued a presidential decree that effectively banned Hamas and its armed militias. The move came shortly after Abbas dismissed the Hamas-led Palestinian unity government. In 2000, since 2018, Abbas has imposed a series of economic and financial sanctions on the Gaza Strip, which was ruled by Hamas. Because what he's trying to do is encourage the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip to revolt against Hamas. Because of the sanctions which have so far failed to remove Hamas from power, tens of thousands of Palestinians have lost their job or sole course of income. They have to come into Israel to make a living. The sanctions in the, in the Gaza Strip, needless to say, have only aggravated the economic and humanitarian crisis in the Gaza Strip. In addition, Abbas has suspended the salaries of Hamas members of the so-called Palestinian Legislative Council, fired Hamas-affiliated employees from the Palestinian Authority-controlled governing bodies, and actually arrested thousands of supporters that, of that group in the West Bank. Now, what's happening is the Abbas administration condemned condemn the British decision against Hamas, and the, uh, at the same time, the Palestinian security force arrested Hamas supporters in Ramallah for carrying Hamas flags in public. According to... Abbas is well aware that were it not for Israel's presence, he would have lost power long ago. At the time that Abbas was denouncing the British move of uh, considering Hamas as a uh, terrorist organization, Israel announced that it has arrested dozens of Hamas terrorists in the West Bank who were suspected of planning terror attacks against Israelis. It is such Israeli security measures to keep Abbas and the Palestinian leadership in the West Bank safe and protected against Hamas terrorism. But instead of thanking Israel for cracking down on Hamas, Abbas continues to denounce Israel in horrific terms. Instead of expressing gratitude to the British government for outlawing Hamas, Abbas continues to condemn the British decision and to defend Hamas. It's time for Abbas and other Palestinian leader, leaders for once to tell the truth about which side they are on. Are they on the side of those who are combating terrorism and who treat terrorism as their enemies, or are they on the side of those who wish to topple them to form yet another fundamentalist dictatorship and to wipe Israel off the map? These, this is the actuality in the, in the land in which we live. If Abbas is really interested in returning to a negotiating table with Israel, he needs to decide whether he's on the side of his peace partners in Israel or his political enemies in Hamas. Until he does so, there's absolutely no way of even thinking of coming to some kind of agreement with the Palestinian authorities.
Abbas has to decide whether he belongs to the pro-peace camp in Israel and the Arab world or the enemies of peace, including Hamas. So uh, it's, uh, up to now, it seems Hamas, Abbas wants it both ways, and that is the Palestinian Authority leadership that Israel is dealing with. Very unfortunate, but realistic. I'll be back after the break. Are you tired of political correctness and the fear that you might offend someone? I'm not afraid to offend you. Wow, look who's talking tough. One has to be tough to keep sane today. Hi, I'm Alan Skorsky. And I'm Bela Seabrow. And join us every Wednesday for The Definitive Wrap as we interview the most sought-after guests and expose progressive trends that masquerade as enlightenment but actually destroy our freedoms. We are the No Wolf Zone, so buckle up for this exciting show. Buckling up, but I'm driving. <laughs> sure, you can drive, but I'm the navigator. Tune in for the No Nonsense, the definitive rap show, every Wednesday on Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. You're back with Jay Shapiro. <clears throat> I want to say a few words <clears throat> about our uh, new agreements with the Gulf states and a little bit of irony in what happened. In, uh, in, there was a signing in Dubai of a tripartite energy water accord between Israel the United Arabs and Jordan, three countries, interesting, two Arabs and uh, Israel. Under this agreement, a government-owned United Arab Emirates firm will build a massive solar energy facility in southern Jordan, which will then sell the energy to Israel. In other words, the UA, the United Arab Emirates are the builders, the place where it's located is Jordan, and the energy is being sold to Israel. Now, in turn, Israel will either build a new desalinization plant or provide Jordan with through Israel's present desalination facilities provide Jordan with 200 million cubic meters of water per year, which quadruples the amount of desalinated water Israel is now providing to the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan. Now, one of the people uh, attending the meeting uh, when the... uh, when they when they signed this water agreement was uh, John Curry. Now Curry, who is now represents something in the American government, I'm not quite sure. It's not important. Uh, Curry, uh, th- what happened was really uh, ironical 
made a Curry made a terrible prediction that will always accompany a discussion whenever you're talking about Curry's Middle East diplomatic leg legacy. He spoke at a conference in 2016, five years ago, and he said that Israel would never reach a separate peace with any Arab nation without first signing agreement with the Palestinians. He said at that time that this not only could this not happen, but he was completely sure it would not ever happen. Uh, the... Uh, he said at that time, I've heard, and I quote, I've heard several prominent politicians in Israel sometime, sometimes saying that the, the Arab world is a different place now. We just have to reach out to them and we, we can work some things with the Arab world and we'll deal with the Palestinians separately. And then Curry went on to say, and I quote, no, 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 and no that this will never happen. That's what he said in 2016. He said there will be no advance and no separate peace with the Arab world without the Palestinian process and Palestinian peace. Everybody needs to understand that this is the hard reality. That is Curry, Curry in 2016. By the way, back in 2015, when Kerry made this ridiculous statement, um, the Obama administration enabled during its final month in office a sharply worded anti-settlement UN security resolution. And just before Kerry delivered a rambling speech at the State Department on his way out, he spoke about the Middle East. He pinned the onus of the blame for the diplomatic stalemate on Israel, not on the Palestinians. And yet there he was two weeks ago standing next to a UAE crown prince watching fruits ripen from just precisely the type of separate peace agreement that he was so certain would never materialize and he did nothing. The United States did nothing to advance it. So the importance of the agreement uh, between Israel, the UAE, UAE, and Jordan goes beyond the supply of renewable energy to Israel and the desalinated water to Jordan. The deal moves the benefits to be accrued from the Abraham Accords to other countries in the region, and not just to each of the Arab countries with Israel reached the agreement. There is also Bahrain, Morocco, and Sudan, which Israel has also signed agreements with. So far, most of the diplomatic activity surrounding the Accords has focused on adding new countries or deepening bilateral relations between Israel and these other countries. These efforts should be continued, but the solar water deal shows how the Accords can simultaneously deepen Israel's relations with these first with this first generation of Arab peacemakers. And deep and deepening Israel's relations uh, uh, means also something can be done about Jordan and Egypt. It's, it's critically important.
Given that Israel's relations with Israel, Jordan and Egypt have, although the agreements were signed quite some time ago, they've been defined as a cold peace. This new deal with the other Muslim countries could significantly warm up ties with Jordan and, and with Egypt. By the way, right after uh, he took office, our Prime Minister immediately secretly traveled to Amman to meet King Abdullah II and announced that Israel would increase the amount of desalinated water sold in the region. So this deal takes the relationship between, between Israel and Jordan beyond just actually dealing with security. To, uh, the uh, that's the relationship with Jordan with Israel has based been upon security until now. So now, when you start talking about desalinated water and things of that nature, the relationship between Israel <clears throat> can go into the civilian realm, just not the military. The uh, of course the Palestinians they are very much opposed. This deal could serve as an example for further cooperation with Jordan as well as with Egypt. And it demonstrates just how the Abraham Accords are transforming the region, something we could not have even imagined just five years ago. By the way, another example came when uh, several days after the signing of this agreement, Israel's defense minister, Benny Gantz, flew to Morocco for a two-day visit, the first visit by an Israeli defense minister to one of the countries with, with which Israel has begun to cooperate as a result of the Abraham Accords. They, they signed a groundbreaking defense memorandum of understanding. So let that, let that sink in for a moment. Israel's defense minister went to an Arab state that for years refused to acknowledge any ties with Israel and signed a defense memorandum that formalizes defense relations between the two countries and establishes a foundation that will support any future cooperation. That is the wording of this agreement. And this memorandum will enable the defense establishment of both countries to enjoy what they called, and I quote, increased cooperation in the fields of intelligence, intelligence, industrial collaboration, military, and training. Those are the words of the agreement between Israel and Morocco. Three years ago, such a development would have been deemed like a pipe dream. Last week, the Moroccan press ran stories. The Moroccan press ran stories about how this agreement will enable the manufacture in Morocco of killer drones equipped with Israeli technology, and how the North African country bought Israel's dome system, Skylock it's called. It's an anti-drone weapon that detects and destroys enemy drones. 
The Israeli military equipment and technologies give Morocco a strategic advantage and superiority in the region. So the uh, so that's the way it is. These are the agreements. The uh, there's it's interesting that this, this by the way infuriated Algeria, which is doesn't get along too well with Morocco. The, if Algeria was infuriated by the visit of Israel's foreign minister, one can only imagine how it must be steaming now that the Jewish state's defense minister was hosted in um, uh, Morocco on a formal visit and talked about security cooperation and arms deals. So it's the... Um, the uh, Abraham Accords have thoroughly realigned the regions. There are Arab countries and the don't, Muslim countries don't get along with each other, and now Israel is becoming aligned with some of them, and it's making the others nervous. <laughs> so it's a whole new world we could not have imagined just five years ago, and it's interesting because it's caused uh, some uh, upsetting uh, and other countries in the Muslim world who don't get along with each other from from to begin with. Now Israel is essentially taking sides and making the other sides nervous. Very interesting. Never a dull moment. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 